All right, so tonight we're coming to a wonderful topic, and that's the topic of propitiation, or the expiation cover. And, uh, but before we get into this topic, I want to review just briefly uh, from last week. Uh, starting this semester, we come to Exodus chapter 25 and going through the rest of Exodus. And you know, with the book of Exodus, the first 24 chapters are really exciting. There is a lot going on there. Um, the plagues come on Egypt, the children of Israel cross through the Red Sea, they're eating the manna, they're drinking from the smitten rock, a lot of activity. But then you come to chapter 25 and all of a sudden there's a heave offering and then there's a description of all the furniture in the tabernacle and all the different items in the tabernacle. And you might think, well this is not so exciting. In fact, it's interesting, you know, of course, Moses, he didn't name the book Exodus. That, it got named later. But, um, you know, actually, even the title of the book is not so complete. Because it's not just about the coming out of the children of Israel. But the goal was God's building. So the last many chapters of this book, starting from 25 to the end, the last 16 chapters are concerning God's building. Because God's heart's desire was not just to redeem his people or save them from Egypt, but he wanted to have a dwelling place on the earth where he could have his testimony, where he could have his expression. So the last 16 chapters are about this testimony, the tabernacle. Well, in the Old Testament, there was the physical tabernacle. Eventually, when they got into the good land, there was the temple. But then in the New Testament, there's a big transition. In John, we're told that the Word became flesh, John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and what tabernacled among us. So in the Old Testament, it was a physical tabernacle. In the New Testament, it's Christ as God's tabernacle. So when we're looking at, this, at the tabernacle and all the furnishings, we have to interpret it according to the New Testament revelation. The Old Testament is wonderful because it gives us all the pictures. But you need the words to be able to understand the picture. And the pictures really enrich all that's coming out of the words, right? So you really need both. But in order to understand all the, all the items in the tabernacle, we really have to have the New Testament revelation, right? Otherwise, it means nothing to us. It's not for our experience. But in God's intention, in, the, in revealing this tabernacle, firstly, God was revealing Christ, because Christ is God's tabernacle. But you know, the Lord said that in his cru uh, after his crucifixion, he said, you destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So Christ was raised up, but when he was raised up, it wasn't just Christ raised up, who else was raised up with him? Was anyone here raised up with him? Yeah, we need to have a strong yes and amen, right? Yes. Not only was he raised up, but we were raised up with him. So now in the New Testament, not only is Christ God's dwelling place, but the church as the enlargement of Christ is what? It's God's house, God's dwelling place. So when we see this tabernacle, we have to realize that it points to Christ and it points to the church. Okay, so last week we saw the first item of furniture. 
the center, the content of the tabernacle all comes out of this, this item, which is what? What did you talk about last week? The ark. The ark. So what does the ark point to based on the New Testament revelation? Christ. It points to Christ. He is, Christ is the embodiment of God. So in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Right? So in Christ, as the ark, is the embodiment of God. So you saw right last week, I'm sure, about the acacia wood overlaid with gold. And maybe you took a few minutes to see the content. All this points to Christ. He is God's testimony. This is called the Ark of the Testimony, right? He's God's testimony. Um, he's the Word of God is God's testimony. So that when you see the, the law there in the, in the Ark, you have to realize this points to Christ as God's testimony. And when you see the hidden manna, do you remember in John when the Lord said, Your, Moses didn't give you the true bread. My Father gives the true bread. The bread of God is He who comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Amen. So that hidden manna, that physical manna points to who? It points to Christ. It's the food for God's people so they can go God's way. And then there was the budding rod there, right? And that points to Christ in resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So this is all the content, so rich. Okay, well... As rich as that content is, and as crucial as that is, because actually the whole building of the tabernacle, the whole dwelling place of God comes out of that ark. Okay, what again are the materials of the ark? What's the, first, what's the basic material? Acacia wood overlaid with what? Gold. If you looked at the walls of the tabernacle, what are they made out of? We haven't gotten to this point yet, but they're acacia wood overlaid with gold. So it indicates that God's dwelling place, the tabernacle, comes out of the ark. So the church, the content of the church is Christ. So brothers and sisters, we have to get to that ark. In the Old Testament, the high priest there went very infrequently and only him. But now we all need to get to this ark in reality. But then the question is, how can we make it there? We need to know where it is in our experience. We'll get there in a minute. But what qualifies us to be there? You just think about it. Okay, from, here you are standing at the ark. And underneath is looking up at you, speaking to you. I am the Lord your God. I'm the only one you should serve. You shall have no other gods before me, no graven images. Keep holy the Sabbath. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. And it just keeps speaking to you. You shall not kill. Never killed anybody. <laughs> you, not, you shall not steal. Mm. You shall, shall not bear false witness. Ooh. And then you shall not covet. Oh, no. We're fully exposed. I don't think you would feel comfortable in that place very long at all. Not at all. And not only do you have the contents of the art looking up at you, on the lid there's two angels. So those, the contents, they express God's righteousness. 
and God's holiness, His perfect holiness. And then on the lid, you have these two cherubim. And they're looking. It says they're facing each other, and it also says they're facing the lid. So they're looking down. And these cherubim, they represent the glory of God. How do you think you're going to feel in this place? How about Romans? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It wouldn't take very long, and you would feel very uncomfortable in this place. In fact, I don't think any of us, in fact, I know none of us could survive in this place. The standard is too high. God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's glory. But we need to get there because that's the content of the tabernacle. And the building of God's dwelling place comes out of the experience of that, of that ark. Well, so that's what we're coming to tonight. And that is the lid. The two main items here with this ark are the lid and the cherubim. So those, that's what we're gonna to touch on. And mainly we're gonna focus on, on that lid. Um, and if you notice in the title, it says the expiation cover and the propitiation place. Other than in the Bible, I don't think I've, in, in, in terms of the Bible, other than that, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with someone where we use the word expiation or propitiation. I don't know, maybe, have any of you ever, used, do you use those in your classes, like expiation, propitiation? Okay, so let me ask you, what is expiation? What is it to expiate? Expiation is to make atonement. So this may be a little bit more common than expiation, atonement. And uh, there was the day of atonement where they would take blood and they would sprinkle it. Okay, so that was uh, the expiation. Atonement, one time a brother shared, atonement, think of it as at-one-ment. At-one-ment. So this expiation or atonement is to make two parties one. How about propitiation? Maybe someone can give us a definition of propitiation. We sang about it tonight. That was a really good hymn, right? Really enjoyable. Propitiation made by the blood. What is propitiation? Well, propitiation is appeasement. So, um, it's, it's a very, um, it's a judicial matter. It's a legal matter. So you have party A and you have party B. And party A has done something to, to offend party B. And so party C comes in to take care of the problem to reconcile party A and party B. And what party C does, that's called propitiation. What party C does appeases the situation between A and B. It takes care of what A owes to B, whatever that is, so these two can become one again. It's kind of like this. You know, I'm a freshman at UT, and, um, you know, I just, I'm always late to class. So I'm just running, running, you know, I'm, I'm in my car, I live just right off campus. I decided not to live in the dorm, save a little bit of money, so I'm always driving, driving, looking for parking, you know, just an impossible thing. But, um, so I find a spot, it says no parking, et cetera, unless you got this sticker or that. I'm like, it's okay, I pay so much money to this university, 
that, you know, and I justify why I'm parking in that spot. Okay, so um, I come out, there's a UTPD, you know, fine on there. I get a ticket. It's like, ah, you know, and I've, I just forget about it. And this happens the whole semester. I just, I wake up late every day and I'm thinking, I pay this university so much money, I cannot believe they don't provide any parking for me. And so I just, every day I get the ticket and then ah, forget about it, forget about it. So by the end of the semester, um, if I actually make it out of bed every day, then, you know, let's say five days a week, 16 weeks, you know, you know, like 80 times. So I've got 80 tickets, $50 each, so that's, how much is that? About $4,000? Is that right? 4,000, okay. So, end of the semester, I'm like, ah. And then I discover, I go to register for next semester, and then I discover something called bars. <laughs> and they're not gonna let me register unless I pay $4,000 in fine. So not only do I have my $5,000 in tuition, I've got $4,000 in fine. And I'm like, there's no way, I cannot pay this. And, um, but I'm thinking, you know, you know, my, and I have a lot of debt actually. I have a lot of people that I borrowed from because of other issues in my life. Nobody's willing to pay anything for me. No one, no one on planet Earth is willing to give me any money to pay these. But I'm thinking, oh, but you know, my dad, he's a really good friend of the judge. So I think it's all gonna work out. So I go in and, you know, all smiles, and I'm like, you know, this is gonna get taken care of. And I bring my case to the judge, and you know, let's say the judge said, you know, I know your dad. I'm gonna let you off, it's okay. What would you think about that judge? He's an unrighteous judge, right? How could he do something like that? So, um, so if he's going to be righteous, what does he have to do? What does that judge have to do? What are his options? He makes you pay it, but you have no money. And you have no friends that are willing to give you any money. So jail. What's that? You got it, he could pay it for you. So, let's say this judge is a judge, not the typical judge that we think of when we think of judge, but he has a heart full of love. You might think, well, if he loves you, then he could just say, you don't have to pay. But that would be unrighteous. So he's got to find a way. He loves you, but he's got to find a way to do things righteously. So that's what propitiation is. It's finding the way to do things righteously to appease the problem. Of course, in this case, our fine, you know, what we owe is not $4,000. It's not even $4 million. The price that we owe is so high, it's so high, that the only way that we can repay this debt is with blood. There has to be a life. Because according to the word, the wages of sin is what? Death. And in fact, to Adam, he told him, remember? He gave him a warning. He said, the day you eat of this tree, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will what? You will surely die. Right? 
So the price is incredibly high. It's not 4,000, it's not 4 million, it's not 4 billion. It's blood. God, God requires, the righteous God requires that there be a payment. But if it's not gonna be, in the Old Testament, in place of my blood, it could be a lamb's blood, right? Or the blood of a turtle dove, or the blood of a bull. Well, in the New Testament, and of course that could only cover my sins, but in the New Testament, the blood is the blood of Christ. And this blood is so precious that it not only covers, but it takes away the sins, and not of one man, but of all men, and not just all men today, but it's every man who has lived or will live or is living on planet Earth. That's how precious this blood is. There is no limit. He offered himself through the eternal spirit. There is no limit to the efficacy, the effectiveness of his blood. What a deal. That is expiation. That is propitiation. God, in his love, gave his son to fulfill the legal righteous requirement so that he could justify us. And what does it mean to justify? It means to receive according to God's standard of righteousness. Justify. You know, atonement at one minute. Justify. Just as if I'd never done it. Okay? God can receive us according to his standard of righteousness, not my standard. You know, we may have the thought, well, you know, I don't lie as much as so-and-so, or I'm not as bad as this person, and we give our conscience a little bit of rest that way. But once we see God's standard, once we're at the ark, and we see the Ten Commandments, it doesn't say, thou shalt not steal as much as that banker did, or thou shalt not lie as much as politician so-and-so did. It just says, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not covet. The standard is just Mount Everest, right? But there's a precious provision so we can meet with God, and that's the blood. Okay, maybe we could have somebody um, read to us these verses. Who's, who's a good reader here? Who could stand up, has a strong voice, and can read, read through it for us? Okay, go ahead, Austin, you got a good voice. Exodus 25? Yes, the verses up top, read them to us. Can everyone hear me? Yes. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you, and you shall make an expiation cover of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and one and a half cubits its width. And you shall make two... You got it. Okay, and you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of beaten work you shall make them at the two ends of the expiation cover, and one cherub at one end, and one cherub at the other end. Of one piece with the expiation cover, you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. And the cherubim shall spread out their wings above the cover, covering the expiation cover with their wings, with their faces toward one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the expiation cover. And you shall put the expiation cover on top of the ark, and into the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. Mm -hmm. And there I will meet with you, mm -hmm. and I will speak with you from above the expiation cover, 
from Amen. between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony of everything which I will give you in the in commandment to the children of Israel. Thank you. There will I meet with you. Praise the Lord. There I will speak with you. Wonderful. But without this lid, there'd be no way for God to do this. Okay, the expiation cover, remember expiation is for atonement, the propitiation place with the sin covering lid on the ark. Romans 3.25 says that Christ is our propitiation place. Okay, let's read together Romans 3.24 through 25. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation place through faith in His blood for the demonstrating of His righteousness, and that in His forbearance God passed over the sins that had previously occurred. Okay, so just a few, few uh, words here. Justified freely. Justify. What is that again? Just as if I'd never done it. This is God accepting me according to his standard of righteousness. And then what does it say after that? Freely. This is free. The price has been paid. Justified freely by his grace. What's the way? It's the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. This points to propitiation. Whom God, what? Set forth as a propitiation place. So surely when Paul was writing this word, he was considering the tabernacle with the ark, with the propitiation place. Because he says what? God has set forth Christ. God set forth as a propitiation place. So when he saw the ark with the lid, he saw Christ. So when we look at this furniture in Exodus 25, when we look at the ark with the lid, what do we have to see? We have to see Christ, just like Paul sees Christ. And here, it says God set forth. So in the Old Testament, that ark was just hidden there. It was with, there were sheets surrounding the outer court. Then once you got into the holy place, as you were entering in, there was a veil. And then as you were entering into the Holy of Holies, there was a very thick veil. So it was hidden. But here, God has set forth Christ. So now this place is open wide. It's set forth before men. Would you believe? Would you receive? I feel like I'm giving a gospel message tonight. <laughs> Just receive it. God has set forth Christ. He's there for all to receive. There's a way, brothers and sisters. All can enter in. Okay, and that word is what? Hilasterion. I'm definitely no Greek anything, but, uh, and I may be pronouncing these words wrong. But this first word is hilasterion, which is the place of propitiation, implying to forgive and to give mercy. So in the King James Version, it even calls it a mercy seat because it's implied by this word hilasterion. So that's the place, that's the lid. But then there's another word used in the New Testament in regards to propitiation, and that's helaskamai in Hebrews 2.17. Let's read that verse together. Hence, So again, this is Christ. So not only is he the place of propitiation, 
but he is the propitiator. He's our merciful and faithful high priest who makes propitiation, who does the appeasing. He is the agent. He's party C that reconciles A and B. Okay, now there's a third word in the New Testament with relation to propitiation. Probably you didn't realize there were so many verses, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament on this point of propitiation. And that's 1 John 2, 20, or excuse me, 2, 2, the word halasmus, which is that which propitiates. Let's read that together, 1 John 2, 2. And he For the whole world, all of space, all of time, whole world. What a precious blood, brothers and sisters. So this speaks of Christ as what? He is what? He's the actual sacrifice. Okay, so he's not only the, pri the, the high priest that propitiates, he's not only the place on the lid of the ark of propitiation, but he's also the sacrifice that God offered out there at the altar of burnt offering to propitiate for us. When it comes to propitiation, he's everything. He's the offering, he's the priest, and he's the place. What a Christ! He's too rich. He is every aspect, every person involved. Every person, matter, and thing involved with propitiation is Christ. Okay, but we have to see the goal of the propitiation. The sacrifice, let's say, you know, there's the um, holy place and the holy of holies in the tabernacle. Here I am in the outer court. You know, you walk up to it and there's these pillars, linen sheets surrounding, so it's... And so I'm, I'm walking up, I enter in, and the first thing I see is this very large altar burnt offering. And then there's a priest there, and he's slaying this sacrifice. And he's taking that blood, he doesn't leave it there. Do you know what he does with that blood? He brings it all the way in, through the holy place, through the veil, into the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkles it with his fingers seven times on the lid of that ark. So when you were to come in, if you were to come in, you wouldn't have, but if you had come in, none of us would have been qualified, to see that ark, the top would have been red. It would have been covered with the blood of, these, of this propitiatory sacrifice. So, the priest did not stay here. He took that blood. That blood became his qualification, and it becomes all of our qualifications to enter all the way in to the place where God's righteousness is, God's holiness, and especially concerning the lid, God's glory is. You know, the glory of God filled that place. In the outer court, there was natural light, the light of the sun or the light of the moon. When you got into the holy place, it was covered, right? So it was a dark area. There was man-made light. There was a lampstand. But when you got into the Holy of Holies, do you know the light that was in the Holy of Holies? The glory of God. That was the light in that place, the glory of God. 
Okay, so this priest did not stay here. He entered all the way in. So we have to see the goal of the blood is the Holy of Holies. It's that cover. That is the, that's the goal of the blood. And the reason I'm emphasizing this point is that our tendency is to stay at the altar. Oh, Lord, thank you for dying for my sins. Lord, I am so sorry for this. I'm so sorry that I stole that. I'm so, I'm so, so sorry I said that. Oh, man, I just feel terrible. Lord, can you ever forgive me for doing this? We're just... Have you ever lived in that realm? Or, or maybe you've confessed something, and then you turn around um, and you think about later, and you confess it again. Have you ever done that? So we just linger here in the outer court, but God is in there. He's not out here. This is, just, this is a place of transition. Immediately when you apply the blood of Christ, when you say, Lord, cleanse me in your precious blood, that will bring you into God. Remember, the goal is to get into God. There's no infusion out here. There's no transfusion, right? God's element is not getting into me out here. It's in there, so I need to get there, all right? So uh, Roman numeral two, just real quickly, I'm out of time. The expiation cover, the place of propitiation signifies Christ as the cover of God's righteous law and also the place where God speaks to his redeemed people, what? In grace. So the throne of judgment, because of the blood of the propitiation, becomes what? A throne of grace. Awesome. Yes, Jose Luis, awesome. That is awesome. The place where I should be experiencing the wrath of God. I'm enjoying God's grace. That's what waits for you when you get into the Holy of Holies. Not judgment. Mercy and grace. Okay, the place of propitiation equals the throne of, of grace. This throne of grace, the place where God gives us grace, is actually what is the shepherding Christ himself. John tells us he came full of grace. Who is enthroned between the cherubim and where does he dwell? This is another big key. He dwells where? He dwells in our spirit. You might think, how do I get... In the Old Testament, it's very clear. I mean, it was hard to get to. Only one person got there once a year, but at least you knew where it was. Where is it in the New Testament? In Hebrews 4.16, Paul says, Let us therefore, what? Come forward with boldness to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace for timely help. So that throne is available, and we can come to it. And even it says what? With boldness, based on that blood, we need to come forward we need to enter in. You might ask, Paul, Paul, where is that throne of grace exactly? I know it's not in Israel anymore because the temple's gone. They don't know where the ark is. Where is this throne of grace today? Well, surely God's throne is in the heaven. But did you know that we have, there's a ladder that joins earth to heaven? Christ is that ladder. So not only is he the propitiation, he's also a ladder. And that ladder, which is Christ joining earth to heaven, one end is in heaven. You know where the other end is? It's in our spirit, Carl. Amen. Praise the Lord for our spirit. So when you get to your spirit, you get to the throne of grace. Amen. You might say, how do you know that? Well, if you look just a couple verses earlier in Hebrews, it tells us that the word of God divides our soul from our spirit. So the throne of grace, brothers and sisters, today is very accessible. You don't have to go off. You don't need to climb Mount Everest 
or go to one of the holiest places on earth or do a pilgrimage or crawl on your knees on, on rocks up some, to some elevated place. You don't have to go to some grand cathedral. All you've got to do is say, Lord, cleanse me in your precious blood. And right then, you can enter into the Holy of Holies. Praise the Lord. Oh, come forward. I feel like I'm Paul here tonight. Come forward. Come forward. Right, that was his word. Let's have boldness to come forward to the throne of grace. Okay. Psalm 81. O shepherd of Israel, give ear. You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit between the cherubim, shine forth. So he was sitting there. Jehovah was sitting on that throne. And now we're told, come forward. Because God, he wants to meet with us. It's not a place of judgment anymore. It's a place of mercy. It's a place of grace. It's a place of timely help. So God is sitting there, and he's receiving us. Why is he receiving us? How, what ground does he have to receive us? What's the ground? Boldly, someone, everyone. The blood. The blood. Yes, there's blood on that cover. So God is fully at peace. He has no problem, absolutely no problem. We may have a problem with ourselves, but he doesn't. So just take the blood based on God's evaluation and come and enjoy God. The other problem we have is not just these issues with ourselves. Satan comes and he helps us have these issues. He reminds us this failure, this sin, this thing that I've done a million times at least. Forget about it. Just take the blood of Christ and get to the throne of grace. He's waiting there for us. I hope tonight after the meeting, I hope all of us would log a little time, maybe on your walk to your car, your walk home, or maybe a walk around your house. You would just come forward and enjoy God who's just sitting there between the cherubim on the lid and enjoy some time with God and sweet fellowship with Him. Okay, the cherubim signifying God's glory and above it cherubim of glory overshadowing the propitiation place concerning which it's now not the time to speak in detail. Praise the Lord tonight, we got a little bit of time to speak in detail. Okay, and then uh, Roman numeral four, that God met with his people and spoke to them from above the expiation cover and between the cherubim signifies that God meets with us and speaks to us in the propitiating Christ and in the glory expressed in the propitiating Christ as his testimony. Okay, and then finally, let's read together Roman numeral five. Thus, And the more time we spend with the Lord there in our spirit, the more God has his dwelling place. Because remember, the building comes out of the ark. So don't stay in the outer court, okay? Don't stay there with the blood there, but enter in. Apply the blood. How do we apply it? We just say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, cleanse me. Maybe in detail, whatever the Lord's touching you with in your conscience, just confess that thing. 
And once it's confessed, it's over. It's over. God has no more memory of that. And now you're free. You are free to enter in and enjoy God. He's sitting there. He's waiting to have fellowship with you. There's blood on the cover, so there's no judicial issues. The cherubim are there. The glory of God is there to infuse, right? It's not exposing there. There it's infusing us with God's element. Like in Corinthians where it says that the glory of God, which is in the face of Jesus Christ, has shined into our hearts. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Okay, so um, we have a few more minutes, so you can break up into groups and uh, have some time to read, and then we'll have a few minutes to overflow at the end.